We'll title this message, Real Hope and Change. So 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Peter and then of the twelve, and after that He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and we do pray for preaching grace and an ability to discern the Holy Spirit in the room, taking these words of power to break hard hearts of sin, to wound us and to heal us and to encourage us and to strengthen us through resurrection and ascension power. These things I pray in the name of our ascended Lord Jesus. Amen. What do you hope in? Everyone's hoping in something. I was reading in Psalms 119 this week in verse 57, You are my portion, O Lord. My portion, my inheritance, my interest, my hope. We grow up in this life from children and onward, and we learn from all of these little hopes that we hope in along the way that there's always something out there in the future to hope in. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a greater hope that transcends all these little hopes in this life. Because all these little hopes that we have in this life will one day die when you do. Accept the hope in Jesus Christ and resurrection. Many of us, depending on what stage of life you're in, you may be just hoping for dessert because it's Sunday. Or you may be hoping for the move into that new house, right? Or hoping in, you know, uh, a job. Or hoping in a career. Or hoping in, you know, you might find that knight in shining armor, you know, that's going to come rescue you. Whatever it is, we all have these hopes that we look forward to in this life. But there's a greater hope. And Christ, the resurrected one, transcends death and the grave and gives us a hope that will last forever. The psalmist also said in 16.5, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. He's the hope of mine inheritance and of my cup. And in Psalm 73.26, he would say, my flesh and my heart fails. 
Over time, your flesh and your heart is failing. Bob's dad's heart is failing. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's my hope forever. So even as this outward body perishes, there's a hope. That's the strength of our heart, of who we are. And strength of heart comes from hope in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. This strength of heart gives us a hope in eternal inheritance. Something greater than we are in a future that will last and not be corrupted. A hope that never ends. Paul says we're saved by hope in Romans 8. He says we're saved by hope. But a hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, what does he yet hope for? He's talking about a hope in that unseen realm of things that faith tells us are true. The evidence of things hoped for, the evidence of uh, the evidence of things hoped for, the substance, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'll get it right in a minute. This is a hope in things we don't yet see, but we know about. And you've got that sense in you, believer, that these things are true and that they're real. You know, all over the world today, there's a, a I don't know how many multitude of different sects and denominations celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now I know just from studying about liberalism in some churches that call them so-called churches today that they, they believe that Christ died and they don't, actually don't believe in resurrection. They just believe Jesus was a good teacher and then he died. In fact, the atheist believes that. And then there are some that believe that he actually died and rose again. And then there are those who actually believe that he died, was buried, and rose again for our justification, and he ascended into the realm of glory where he's now ruling and reigning over everything and upholding everything by the word of his power. You see, it doesn't just stop with the resurrection, just like it doesn't just stop with his birth. So when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, it doesn't stop there. We're celebrating His death, burial, and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of power. So your hope in the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ is the most important doctrine that will keep you in this life and carry you beyond the grave. This is something you can feed off of. And the more you meditate and contemplate resurrection, the more strength you will have in your life, the more joy you will have in your life now. Now this hope that we have is made possible because Christ was punished for you. He died for you. He spent three days in the realms of death for you. He was raised for your justification and He ascended for you as your representative in heaven. And now He sits as the mediator between you and God forever. 
to bring you to that place where He is now. And so today I want to look at five things. You need a greater hope because death is real. That's the first thing we'll look at. The second thing is you need your sins to be punished and put to death. Thirdly, we will see that you need to be raised from the dead. Resurrection. You need to be ascended. Ascension. And you need the gospel to hear about this truth. But you may say, how is that possible? I can't do those things. Well, there is one who did it for you, believer. And all those who are in Christ will believe unto the saving of their souls into this great truth of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. That's Hebrews 10.39. So number one, let's take a look at this. You need a greater hope because death is real. So why do we need a supernatural hope? I asked you, what do you hope in? Is there not enough in this world to hope for? Well, there are many little hopes, many things to hope for in this world, and God has given us all things richly to enjoy in this life. But everyone dies in the end. So the only hope that will last is the one in resurrection from the dead, the hope in Christ, in life everlasting, where hopes never die. And we need a hope that transcends the realities of this world as we know them now. You know, this is realities that the preacher in Ecclesiastes also communicated to us. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Let's just take a, to a, take a look at a few verses here in Ecclesiastes to answer this question. Why do we need a greater hope? It starts out there in Ecclesiastes 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So the conclusion of the wisest man, it said, that the wisest sinful man that ever lived, is that everything is just vanity, empty, vain, worthless. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Down in verse 8, he, he talking about labor and work in this life, says, All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eyes is not satisfied with seeing, nor the hear filled with hearing. There's this whole idea that in this life, we work and we work and work because we see things that our eyes desire and we get them, and yet it doesn't satisfy us. And we work and labor to hear things, you know, through preaching or through philosophies or answers or solutions to all of the, the death and the evil that we see in the world. And yet, anything we seek out to hear that comes from this world never satisfies the hearing of the ear. The thing that has been, it is that which shall be, he says in verse 9 there in Ecclesiastes. And that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. No new thing under the sun. 
Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It has been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. So all the labor and everything that we see the children of the world putting forth to try to get a name for themselves. The philanthropists who build buildings and put their names on them. It's going to come a time when it's not even going to be remembered. All the effort and all of the trials put forth in this life for the hopes that only are in this world are going to not be remembered. Everything is vanity for one day it will end. Down in chapter 2, the preacher says in verse 16, For there is no remembrance of the wise more than the fool forever, seeing that which now is in the days to come shall be forgotten. And how dies the wise man? As the fool. So all of the wealthy, all the wise, all of those in positions of power and prestige, how do they die? Just like the fool. The preacher says there that there's one thing that happens to everyone. Everyone dies. Even the wealthy in this world today are still going at this. I, found, I saw a headline in uh, CNBC. CNBC. It's not one of my regular readings. But it says, The Silicon Valley's quest to live forever could benefit humanity as a whole. So that kind of caught my eye. So in Silicon Valley, they're talking about all of the billionaires, right? Alphabet, the alphabet soup of billionaires. Google, Amazon, etc. And the article said this, A growing number of tech billionaires have decided they want to use their enormous wealth to try and help humans cheat death. And the way they think they're going to do this is that they're investing in artificial intelligence because they think they can build a computer smart enough that can figure out this whole problem of death, you know. Well, I can tell you there is one of infinite intelligence who's already figured that out. The one who knows all things has already conquered death for those who believe. And in, you go through Ecclesiastes and it's kind of a dark book, isn't it? You see uh, Solomon who had all the wealth and all the wisdom and, and we learn a couple things about that life. Is First of all, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how wise you are, men aren't good with money and power. It has a tendency to, the sin in their heart just can't handle it. But I'm glad that the Bible doesn't end with Ecclesiastes, aren't you? But even in Ecclesiastes, there's hope. Because 
even though Solomon saw that all of these hopes that he had that had come to naught in this life, and the wealth and everything, he, he acquired more than anyone probably ever acquired, and it didn't satisfy him, he did come to repentance and faith in Christ, I believe. And uh, I think we, we can see that in this letter. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 14, I think he states it here when he says, I know that. So he knew something here. I know that whatsoever God does, it shall be forever. And I think in a verse like this, we see his hope and faith in the Messiah, the promise to Israel. Whatever God does, it shall be forever. And so if you want to hope in something that's an everlasting hope, hope in the one who when he does something, it lasts forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, which means we can't add anything to this work that God is doing, and we can't take anything away from it. And God does it that men should fear before him. So the reason why we need a hope that transcends the reality of of all the little hopes of this world is because this is a dying, fighting, fussing, disease-filled world. But what God does shall be forever. And He is restoring all things new in you. He's doing it now. He's working in you by the power of the Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's preparing you for the restoration of all things. And He conquered this earth. And He conquered death. And so we can hope in a real change. And a real hope. We can hope in the end of wars and oppression. And sin and disease. We can really hope that peace on earth, goodwill toward men is going to come true ultimately. Because of what Christ did for us. Resurrection hope is a hope that escapes death. So what hope are you looking forward to? What portion are you looking forward to in this life? Or we, you know, we could look forward to inheritances or getting the tax check back if you're getting anything back. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as we have an ultimate hope in Christ. And our big hope is in the hope that transcends so we need a hope that transcends the grave because death is the end of all these little hopes. Secondly, to have that hope, your sin must be put to death and you must die to sin. In Romans 1.18, the reason why this must, must be is that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. So the wrath of God is already being revealed in the world. And in chapter 2 of Romans it tells us that wrath is being stored up against wrath against all those who are not granted repentance. And so you must either die for your sin or someone else must die for your sin. And that is what Christ did. He died for our sin. Everyone has a body that dies. 
your sin must really be put to death. We see this in Christ's death for us. If you're in Christ, your sin has been put to death. You know, there's a reality in the truth about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection that He really died. It said He was raised from the dead, not raised from death. Paul says that here in the text we read in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So He died a real death. What happens when the body dies? Liver mortis, rigor mortis, algor mortis. Y'all probably heard those terms. It's not pleasant. Liver mortis takes place when your circulatory system stops working and the blood starts to pool where the gravity is. Within two to six hours after death, rigor mortis sets in, which is the stiffening of the body. And then after about 24 to 48 hours... You go into algor mortis, which once again the body becomes limp and pliable. And decomposition, decomposition, everything starts to go back to the dust. Christ really died. He really died. Three days he was in the realms of death. But he saw no corruption. He did not decay. He did not decompose. The enemies of Christ tried to cast doubt on the fact that he really died or that he really rose again. We see this even in Matthew 28 and verse 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch, those soldiers that were there when the angels rolled the stone back and they fell back with fear. They came into the city and they told the chief priest all the things that had happened. You would think at that point, right, that the chief priest would have said, what, we got that wrong. We better repent and believe upon this. This was the Messiah indeed. But when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money to these soldiers saying, you go around and spread the rumor that his disciples came by night, these poor fishermen, and whipped 16 Roman soldiers, 16 Navy SEALs, whipped you and took that body. Well, actually, they said that you fell asleep. But, But the point is, Those Roman soldiers were there to prevent this from happening. And and so they're all saying that, well, all 16 of us fell asleep. And none of us overheard the stone being rolled back by these poor little fishermen. And none of us heard that commotion going on. And we just slept right through that. That's what they were told. So they're trying to cast doubt on the fact that 
he rose again. Or they've also spread the lie saying that, well, he wasn't really dead, he was just asleep. And it, he was just in shock, you know. And Well, we've got the testimony of John that came and he witnessed. And you've got to understand, John's just a fisherman. And he says, I saw them break his legs. And then I saw him stick a spear in his side. Not break his legs. Break the legs of the... Thank you. Y'all keep me straight. I saw break the legs of the two thieves. And when they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs because he was already dead. And to, to show that he was already dead or to verify that, they stuck a spear in his side up into the side where his heart is and out came blood and water. And one of the things that happens when the body shuts down and goes into shock is that membrane around the heart fills with fluid and the membrane around the lungs will fill with fluid, water. And so these evidences are given to show that he was dead. Also, we see that in John 19.38, just think about this, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight, then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. So imagine that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus being pretty smart men. And the amount of time this must have taken. So they have to take the body down. They have to go get the spices. Then they have to wrap the body. Then they have to carry this body to the tomb, put them in the tomb and seal the tomb. That in all that time, if Jesus wasn't really dead, they would have figured that out. So Jesus really died. And it's good for us that he was punished. It's good for us that he was afflicted. Because in all of that, he was paying the penalty for our sins. We deserved that. And we could have never endured what it took that he had to endure in this punishment and death. He was wounded, he was beaten, he was bruised for our transgressions. And by his stripes we are healed, Isaiah 53. So it's good for us that that happened because if it hadn't happened to him, it would have happened to us. I was reading in Thomas Goodwin over the weekend, and and he said, you know, some people have speculated, would it have been possible for an angel to have been the slain one for us? And the response of some was, well, maybe, but then they would have had to suffer forever and ever and ever. But Christ, being infinite in person, infinite in dignity, being God manifest in the flesh, was able to suffer the punishment and the wrath, the eternal wrath of God and satisfy all of that because He's infinite, where another finite being, it would take forever and ever to do that. His infinite 
dignity, infinite qualities of Christ enabled him to be able to satisfy the wrath of God for you. So it's good for us that that happened. That he would take away the guilt of our sin. Everybody here has felt guilt. And it took the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to take that guilt away for us. I, I tell you, I'm just amazed again and again and again how the power of the resurrected Christ flows to me to keep removing guilt after I've sinned again. So the hope that you have is that your sins were punished in Christ. In 1 Peter 2.24, Who His own self, speaking of Christ, His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree. Being dead to sins, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. There's so much in that little verse. Isn't that wonderful? Christ bare our sins in His own body on the tree. When Christ was crucified, because we are in Christ from the foundation of the world, when He was crucified on the cross, we were present spiritually. And our sins He bore in His own body on the tree. And that sin nature was put to death on the tree that we being dead to sin. All those that are in Christ, that sin nature in you has been put to death so that now you can live a victorious life. Not a perfect one, but a victorious one. Being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. So it's good for us that He was put to death. He was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So you must be made righteous. That's our next point, three. You must be made righteous. And this is resurrection. So your sins being punished in Christ so that Punishment was accepted as payment for your sins. The resurrection of Christ shows that He was vindicated and that the payment was accepted. Romans 4.24 But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed... Now he's speaking here in Romans 4 about Abraham was justified by faith before he was ever circumcised. And he said, and for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, the righteousness of Christ shall be given to you, if you believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. And then verse 25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So He was raised, He was resurrected for our justification, our vindication. And by that resurrection proves that the payment was made in full. 
And in Romans 6, he, he says in 6, 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. So the death must happen. The resurrection must happen to show that the sins are paid for and vindicated. And First 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a living hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our living hope is that He was raised and that He's ascended and that He's alive right now. And you can't separate the ascension from the resurrection. When I think back about growing up in churches where it was common to see people come to church once a year, you know, on Easter Sunday, buy the new dress and buy the new suit, you know, show up once, once a year. And it was just kind of a, a, a ritual, really. Uh, and I think back and I, and I look at even how the world does the celebration of what they call this time of year, they call it Easter. But the the crucifixion of Christ took place during the pagan holiday in Rome of the worship of Astarte, the goddess Astarte. And that's kind of all got messed up. But what I see in the world is that they separate the ascension from the resurrection. Kind of like in Christmas where they, they're delighted to worship a, a baby Jesus, but not one that's in the throne of power. And so this one that resurrected also ascended up on high. And he's now, he's got all power over all things. He's, he's the judge of all the earth. He's the one with whom we have to do. So resurrection and ascension go together. If you take a look at Ephesians chapter 1, he puts these together right there in the text. Paul, in this section of Ephesians chapter 1, is praying for you. And because this is Holy Spirit inspired word, this prayer is still in effect in this room right now. And Paul talking about the glorious truths of election and predestination and adoption, all being for God's glory and praise. He comes now to pray that you would be able to understand all of that wonder and glory and power. That's available to you through that. And he says in verse 16 of Ephesians 1, He ceases not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know What is the hope of His calling? There's that hope, the real hope, the hope of His calling. And what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. He's praying that you would see that that resurrection power is the same power that's working in you now.
We just sang a song where we said, New supplies each hour I receive. It's because of ascension power and the ascended Christ that every hour you are receiving what you need to live by faith. And so I pray that you would see, as Paul is praying, this exceeding greatness of His power, this working of His mighty power in you, which is the same power that when Christ was raised from the dead, that's the same power of regenerating grace. That's that same power that raises you spiritually from the dead when you're born again. Christ died, Christ arose, Christ ascended so that you might also Rise and be ascended with Him. If you be in Christ, you now live by the faith of the Son of God who sits on the right hand of power and which all spiritual blessings flow to you. Paul has said there in chapter 1, all spiritual blessings flow to you. You have access to by this resurrected Christ. It's from this reality of Christ on the right hand of God that Paul is praying, wanting you to understand So this ascension is important. Paul will carry that over into chapter 2. And and he says, And you, has He quickened? You You were born again by this resurrection power who were dead in trespass. You were dead at one time. And you were walking just like everybody else in the world was walking. And then something happened to you and you were transformed and God had mercy on you. God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together together with Christ. All of those that are in Christ before the foundation of the world are in Christ now and will be resurrected in Christ and born again by the Spirit. Quickened together with Christ. And then there's this verse 6 which is always something I've always just marveled at and have a hard time understanding. He says, and He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So not only by faith are we in Christ in resurrection, we're ascended with Him positionally. What if you could marry somebody who had infinite money you think about Jeff Bezos' wife. Well, I guess he's on number two now. But, you know, she's got everything she ever needs, right? Maybe, maybe not. She doesn't have the gospel of grace. But we think sometimes we, fall, we can fall into this trap. Well, if I just had all the money I need, if I just had, you know, that super yacht, the super RV, you know, the... Tesla, whatever, that wouldn't everything be wonderful? All those little hopes again like to creep in, don't they? But here, if you be in Christ, you have a perfect husband who has all riches, all treasures, who rose from the dead, who grants you eternal life. And you're going to be raised from the dead, and you're going to live forever in joy and peace. Now, that's a great promise. Isn't that a great promise? 
And I think this is, the author to the Hebrews is, is trying to get us to think about this over there in Hebrews 5, where he's kind of rebuking them for not moving on to think about the ascended Christ. And he says, you know, you're, you're like carnal. You're like little babies. You're still just drinking milk. But he said, strong meat belongs to them that are full of age. In Hebrews 5.14, even those who by reason have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So he says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. This is strange how he speaks here. Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead. He's saying we need to go beyond that even. And eternal judgment. He said, and this we will do if God permit. And then you get into what he's talking about here, that Christ is ascended and he's a mediator. And He's finished the work. And now we can live in the power of that reality now. We read of all of those that were persecuted in Acts and the persecutions that were taking place during the times of Nero. Paul lived. And it says that they joyfully sold their stuff to send money to the cause of Christ and to the church. And Peter talks about that. You know, you're suffering now and it's purifying your faith, but you're doing all this with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is essential so that we might put to death that sin nature, so that we might move beyond little hopes to the grand hope of resurrection and ascension, whereby we walk in union with Christ in the power of this resurrected Christ who is a mediator, who you can go to. As we went through that book, Meek and Lowly, wasn't that glorious that we're talking about the heart of Christ now and how He ministers to us? And that there's no reason that we should ever not go to Him and weakness, depressions, anxieties, fears, loss of job, loss of money, loss of sight, loss of hearing, even loss of life. We have a hope that transcends the grave. Those were suffering in Hebrews, and as he gets to the end of Hebrews 10 there, the author of that letter, he would say, but remember the former days which... After you were illumined, illuminated, after you came to faith, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Are you enduring a great struggle with sufferings? And partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, so they've been called out of the world into the ecclesia of the church of Jesus Christ. And they're suffering. And people are laughing at them and mocking them. And saying, what, you believe that somebody rose from the dead? <laughs> you bunch of fools. Just think if, if I went to somebody and said, Hey, you know what? My Uncle Fred rose from the dead. I saw him. He got up out of the grave. 
They would think you were mad. And these that he was writing to in the Hebrew letter said, You had compassion on me and my chains, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence. Whatever's going on in your life, don't cast away your confidence and your hope in this. Do you think you're going to find a better hope in the world? Don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. You've got to endure. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And then he quotes from an Old Testament passage, For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those which believe to the saving of the soul. Are you one of those that believe to the saving of the soul? I hope that you are. I hope that you are. So as we come this day again and consider every day's resurrection day, if you're in Christ, every day you get up and say, Thank God I can walk in newness of faith and life today because you are raised and seated on the hand of power. And this gospel communicates to us this reality and this truth that if you be in Christ, you will believe this gospel to the saving of your soul. And so when we hear this account read, and I'm going to reread it in closing prayer, we can rejoice. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures." And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Peter, then of the twelve. And after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, for whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. And you are one who's also been born out of due time if you have seen Christ by eyes of faith. So you can trust in this Christ, this resurrected Messiah. You can trust Him and go to Him in prayer, in your trials and in your struggles. And He is faithful. And He is faithful. And He will never cast away anyone that comes to Him in faith. May God bless His Word.